Welcome to Amplify, the Revolution Her podcast, dedicated to uplifting, empowering, and amplifying women's voices globally. Our community is a fierce collective of women who are ready to live the lives they always dreamed they would. Together, our strength as a community of inspiring and ambitious women is truly unstoppable. I'm Maria Locker, founder and CEO of Revolution Her. And I'm your co-host, Grace Moores, founding partner of Revolution Her. Today, we are talking about feminist business strategies with author and CEO, Sarah Roach-Lewis. Now, Sarah Roach Lewis teaches ambitious women the strategies they need to claim their confidence, scale their businesses, and double their revenues. With decades of experience as a feminist business strategist, Sarah has supported thousands of women to shed society's expectations and create new pathways for success. As CEO of SRL Solutions and creator of the Seven Figure Confidence Program, Sarah is on a mission to help ambitious women build scalable businesses that support their busy lives. Through her first book, She Rules, What You Didn't Know Is Holding You Back in Business, Sarah shares her strategies for exponential business growth, achieving laser focus while moving through resistance, rebranding self-care as an important business practice, and how to turn your imposter syndrome into seven-figure confidence. We are so ready for this conversation. Please help us welcome Sarah Roach-Lewis. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have uh, lots to talk about. This is probably the most opportune time to talk about feminist anything. I know. (laughs) Perfect timing. I'm very excited. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So we are going to kick things off right away because we have a lot to get to. And we really want to start by asking you, how you became a feminist business strategist. It's the first time we've heard this term. Um, We'd love to know the journey that got you here. Sure. Well, I actually spent most of my career working in the not-for-profit sector. And for about a decade, I worked for a small feminist organization here on Prince Edward Island, where I live. And you haven't heard that term before because it is one that I at some point made up with uh, one of my social media managers. She's like, you're a feminist business strategist. (laughs) And so really what that means is over time, so I I worked for for a feminist organization for a long time and I worked both individually with really thousands of women over the years, helping, walking beside, women as they made profound changes in their life in a variety of aspects. At the same time, I worked to address with my team some of those systemic and structural barriers that women face in their life and in their career. And so when I shifted from that work into the business world, I spent the first 18 months having a massive crisis of confidence of like, what does someone who worked for a feminist organization that is a not-for-profit have any business talking about business? (laughs) And so 
it took me a while to figure it out. But what I saw is, and what I continue to see is that the experience of being a woman impacts you in business. And it impacts your experience in business. And rather than trying to hide that, or shape that into something that is more business like, as a feminist business strategist, I help you and encourage you to embrace all of the whole of who you are and bring that to business. Oh, that was- I love that because it's so true. As we, you know, when we, when I first became an entrepreneur, especially coming from the corporate world, you have so many. Um, stereotypes of how business how you need to how you need to dress what you need to say and so then when you go make that transition into an entrepreneurship role I felt like I had to carry a lot of those roles and those practices with me and it's it's a big jump learning to be except that there's kids crying in the background maybe when you don't want them to or you're on a call or juggling work-life balance in terms of you know your family and working from home like there's lots of I love this sorry this is a very exciting conversation (laughs) I am I've gone off script and I'm just jumping in I love it oh anyway I guess I should ask your first question because I love this so much. Anyway, so in your book, She Rules, you do talk about rewriting the rules for women in business. Can you share the rules that you have and the outline that your teachings and why they're so important for women? Sure. So part of the reason for writing She Rules is as a business strategist, I spent uh, I spend a lot of time talking to women about their businesses. And I continue to hear over and over again, women who don't feel comfortable or confident in business, even though it's their business, it's, it's theirs. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this was a COVID project. <laughs> and so I started looking at really thinking deeply from a strategic perspective, what is going on here? And so if we look at, um, the art of war is considered the Bible of business strategy. And the art of war is a book about military strategy. So what we start looking at is, yes, there have been women in business since the beginning of time, but business is traditionally uh, created for men, inspired by military strategy, and wholly supported by a woman at home taking care of everything else. And so when you look at it from that perspective, it's like, well, it's no wonder we don't always feel comfortable. It wasn't written for us. Mm -hmm. So what do we do in that we change the rules? And I looked at what are the rules that I live my business by? What are the rules that I know work for my clients? And that's really where it it came. That's really where it, it was inspired from. And in terms of the rules, they're pretty simple. I really struggled, quite honestly, with calling them rules. I I don't like rules, um, <laughs> but I was just like, that is what they are. So it's really aligned with your vision and values is the first one. So it's really looking at what does what does it look like to create a business that works for you? Because Grace, what you had just talked about is we can't separate the fact that 
we just had a side conversation before this call started uh, with the caveats of like, when our kids may interrupt this call, and that's okay. Um, We can't separate that we are responsible for the lion's share of the childcare, the lion's share of the household responsibilities, the lion's share of the elder care, and the lion's share of the volunteer work in this world. Obviously, we want to to work toward changing some of that inequity and redistributing much of that unpaid labor that we all do. And at the same time, we need to recognize that that is a part of our world. So we create businesses that work for, that hit our values and work for our lives. So for me, when I was leaving my my job as a feminist, like, I had the best job in the world. I got paid to be a feminist. It was amazing. And I was getting burnt out. So what I realized is I believe that gender equality can solve all of the world's problems, every single one of them. So when I realized that is my core value, there are a million entry points to gender equality, and I was able to choose another one. So that's sort of rule one. Um, rule two is really around playing hurt. Um, so I live with a chronic illness and it can take me out at the knees at any point. And so I know that playing hurt like a pro. So being able to accomplish these big goals and big dreams that I have while not feeling well is important, which is where the planning comes in again. Like we just need to be really good with our planning. Um, And so I just go on. There's a couple more. Be willing to adapt and calibrate. Attitude is everything. Um, Making generous assumptions. And then the last one, which is my favorite, is support other women. So with each one of those rules in the book, I kind of tell a story about how I got to that rule. And then because I am both strategy to me is the big picture, the 30,000 foot view, but then also like the deeply practical right down to what is that one detail that we need to work through. So in the book, I provide both that big picture, but also with each one of the rules, exercises and strategies that you can open the book at any page, any stage of business and take something away that you can work on that day. I have to say it is such a well-written book. I love that you shared those six rules and it's so for anyone that hasn't seen it yet, it is probably the most undaunting and fascinating read because there, there are things that you describe. There are methods of business that are shaped in such a way that you don't even realize they're made for the patriarchy, right? They're they, they are not made for us. And we're just so used to just doing what we do. It doesn't even come into our thought process. So it is yeah, such a I, fascinating read. Yeah, I know when you talked about the 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 art of war and the military military strategies with within business, I was like, oh my gosh. That doesn't resonate for us it as doesn't. a woman at all. Right. And yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't even make that connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and when Sarah and I first chatted, you know, you had mentioned, right, we, what are some of the terms we use from war? 
that was such a, a really yeah. cool aspect, right? Is that the hill you want to die on? Command and control, you know, guerrilla tactics, tactics and strategy. When you start thinking about it, and language does matter, right? Like language matters. And I also think there's that piece around business. There are parts of that strategy that work really well. And we want to, part of She Rules is you do you. You find the things that work well for you. And let's not throw out, like they've got thousands of years of experience. <laughs> let's not throw it out, but let's just use what works for us. And I think one of those pieces is women, um, we often end up being the CEO, the founder, and all of the other roles as well. Mm -hmm. So it's really finding those ways to outsource, finding those ways to to learn to say no and to and to have boundaries. It's it's really challenging, but I think when the patriarchy is sneaky, right? To your point, Maria, like mm -hmm. what it does so well is make us do its work for us. So that's when we want to be really looking when we're making these decisions or when we're doing things, it's like, why are we doing that? Mm -hmm. Oh, <laughs> not to be my needs, but to meet oh, the needs else? of the patriarchy. Right. Right. And it's asking those questions. Um, you know, and I love, so I want to dive into some nerdy stats because that just made my head spin. You, you mentioned a couple of things. Um, in the book, you share the stat that 2% of women-owned businesses make more than a million dollars per year. 2%. And even more significant, 86% of women-owned businesses make less than 100000 per year. That is a huge gap. It's staggering to even think about how you know, women in business are doing what they do. So I'd love to know your thoughts. How can we change these figures? What are these things holding women back and, and how can we move forward? Well, like this is really one of my most favorite topics. <laughs> and I, I think it's it's having the conversation. So one of the things is normalizing conversations about money, normalizing conversations about revenues, normalizing what are our expenses, and and supporting women to place greater value on their work. And I I mean, I think the two percent is fascinating. I find the 86% infuriating. And yeah. that's what I find inspiring is we all start, for the most part, we all start in a place where we have no money. And, you know, and it takes us some time to get over that, that six-figure mark. Mm -hmm. And and the thought that folks get stuck there, because that is the hardest stage of business. It is different. I have clients who are at that seven figures. Uh, stage. It is different challenges there, but the challenges of that less than 100,000, you can't outsource or you think you can't. Mm -hmm. You need all of that money to pay your bills. You are hustling all of the time. Like it, you're just so stuck in it. And so I think part of it is supporting women to make that commitment that they're going to get through that stage as quickly as possible because it is a tough, tough stage. Um, so I think that's one thing, normalizing, talking about money. And then it's really just having, like being very intentional about 
what kind of work you're doing and being very intentional about thinking through what are the decisions I'm making. So for example, if you're making $70,000 in annual revenues, you need as much of that to be coming to you as possible. Mm -hmm. And so it feels pretty hard to engage a VA, a virtual assistant at even 10 hours a month at $40 an hour, right? We're talking about $400 a month that is coming out of your pocket when you really need all of that money. But if we can shift that, and it's that mindset shift to what can I do with those 10 hours a month to increase my revenues? So we focus on that rather than that scarcity mindset of I can't possibly, I can't afford that. And no, probably you can't, but you can't afford even more to get stuck at the less than $100,000 a year, year over year over year. I love that. I that love that. Amazing. Focusing. It's so spot on. It's so yeah. true. And, uh, but it's so hard to get over that mindset of that scarcity mind. When you're in that scarcity mindset, it's what tips it's do consuming. you have? It is. Mm-hmm. And we need to get out of it. We do need to get out of it. We do. And I think in terms of the tips, I think awareness is the first step. Yeah. So being aware and, and, and I think being aware that that 100,000 is not unattainable. Yeah. You can do that. And really getting clear on what is the plan to do that. So much of what I do is I talk to women about the sort of the two key things that I think you need in in terms of business growth. One is a solid plan based on your stage of business. And the second is a deep commitment to your your self-care, a deep commitment to looking after yourself as the business owner. So if we look at that first piece, often what the challenge is, is that you might be doing the things, but they're not the right things to be doing for the stage of business that you're at. So we want to get really clear on how are you spending your time and what are those steps that are going to take you to that next level as quickly as possible? Hmm. This leads perfectly into my next question, actually, because I think one of my favorite parts, I mean, the whole book was fantastic, but there's um, a closing exercise, a bonus exercise, you call it at the end, which is called how to have the booming confidence of Oprah. And you chat about a seven-figure confidence, and it has three main features. Do you want to share a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I think, uh, you know, really when we look at the features of seven-figure confidence is that, number one, it is it is earned. So back in the day when I worked at a feminist organization, I, you know, I had my phases of being an angry feminist, like that typical <laughs> angry feminist, um, for sure. And I had really railing against the mediocre white man. And the men that I saw time and time again in positions of power, um, who really had that leg up. And you know, there's a button, there's a meme, like, wouldn't it be great to carry yourself with the confidence of a mediocre white man? Mm -hmm. And what I where I landed is actually, the seven figure confidence is one where you have 
um, confidence that is that is earned and it is not as a result of your privilege. Um, mm. So I think that's a key piece to it. It comes from that hard work and experience. Um, the other piece around seven figure confidence is it grows stronger by listening to your intuition. So one of the things as women, we are really encouraged to not listen to our spidey mm -hmm. senses, our gut, our, you know, you need to make decisions based on data and logic. No, actually, you can fully make decisions based on data, logic, and what your gut is telling you. And that is what I see with women who have that seven-figure confidence is marrying those two things. Mm -hmm. And then the third component of it is just that sense that it is, it happens, seven-figure confidence builds and grows and happens when you are doing the work in your zone of genius mm -hmm. and that you are embracing that what we had talked about like that that your womanhood is part of what you embrace and so the challenge of that under that less than a hundred thousand dollars a year is you're doing so much work that is outside of your zone of genius so that's why we want to kind of get through that as quickly as possible find out what you are uniquely you and good at and just do that i would like okay. you to live permanently at our office and yes. just <laughs> and be that little voice of reason that just puts us back on the right path whenever we sort of drift off oh my gosh you can call me anytime <laughs> i we'll love it here in i Toronto. love it oh yeah i love it i know and you told i'm i'm gonna jump back i love as well that you focused on self-care because there are so many expectations on women and we have to shed those roles and assumptions and it's so important that we that we do make sure that we're taking care i think actually one of the good things that's come out of the pandemic is that it's made us so much more aware of the fact that we do need to take care of ourselves. We can't keep burdening ourselves with all these different roles and expectations and assumptions that society has given us. So I'm, I'm really pleased to hear you, hear you mention that. Hmm. Well, and I think on that, on that one, it's because the pandemic highlighted those gender inequities that have been around yeah. forever and yeah. we just couldn't ignore it anymore yeah. mm -hmm. so i think there's the two pieces when it comes to self-care there is one recognizing like it's not bubble baths and and you know yeah. right. spas. <laughs> although i'm a big fan of bubble baths and, and spas but it's really about part of it is i I feel self-care is a profound way to work towards smashing the patriarchy. We are told from the time that we are sorted into blue and pink onesies that our job is to look after everyone. We like the messages are so strong around caring and compassion and what does a good mother, good partner, good business partner, good employer. It is all about putting everyone else's needs first. And that is how the patriarchy continues to survive and thrive is when mm -hmm. we get all caught up in doing these things. So I think part of it is the recognition that um, by taking care of ourselves and by putting ourselves first, that is the best thing that we can do for our business, for ourselves, for our family, for our lives. 
The other piece to that is being really clear about what is yours to own and what is society's to own. Like, what are those oppressive structures that we live in? Don't own those. Those are not for you to self-care your way out of. But the, the places where you know you're depleted, you know that life is just a much better place when you take an hour to go for a walk in the morning, those own and, and reject the rest. Yeah, there's a lot of unlearning to do. Yes, there's a lot of unlearning to do. And uh, recently I was having this conversation and we were talking about self-care and it's how part of it is relaxing, but the other part of that self-care is recharging. And yeah. so bringing those together in terms of activities that relax you, but also activities that recharge you and stimulate mm-hmm. you. So um, I'm well, really pleased that you touched on that. Not only that you're saying it's it's about self-care, but to actually look at that self-care as a business care strategy, because yeah. it's true. If, if I'm feeling good, I'm on a roll with business. Like there's no stopping what we can do. I say it to Grace all the time. Can you imagine if all these years... Um, I hadn't had cancer and like, I would have had like three years there where that would have been amazing. God knows what I could have done. So that self-care piece is business care too. We need to start rethinking what that looks like. Because, and I, and I think that reframe on that sometimes is easier than, um, trying to solve all of those, like so much of those oppressive structures that we live in. If we just kind of walk away from that of like, well, no, I don't deserve, I don't, no, no. You are your greatest asset in your business. Just what you just said, Maria, like you are the greatest asset Mm -hmm. in your business. And so of course you should take care of yourself. If your greatest asset, you know, if you owned a trucking company, of course you're going to take good care of that quarter million dollar truck that you bought. You're not gonna let it drive until it runs out of oil. So it's the same concept in our business. And I think it's also really looking, so for me, One of the things that I recognized during the pandemic when my kids were um, not in school, I, we have to drive our kids to the bus because they're out of zone. Mm -hmm. And at that point, we needed to leave home at 645 to get them to the bus stop for 7am. And I shared that with my husband. And after a while, I was like, wow, okay, so there's a total correlation between my chronic illness and feeling dizzy and that hard start in the morning. The Mm -hmm. older I get, the more time it takes for me to get going. And so when the kids went back to school last year, I said to Scott, "Um, I got to tap out of that. I can't do that anymore. And he said, okay, he's a great guy. He's a super partner in life. He said, okay, but of course he forgets, right? And he's like, who's taking the kids to school tomorrow? That, that's you. That's always going to be you. <laughs> oh, so something like that, that was self-care. That mm-hmm. was business care. That was putting me first in a way that was super practical. And while Scott may not always enjoy having to drive the kids first thing in the morning, He sure does love living in a house where his wife and partner is well and healthy and contributes in all of the ways. So I think there's like thinking about self-care, it it happens in so many ways when, and and the benefits that happen when we start to put ourselves first. Absolutely. What a 
perfect example. And thank you, Scott. I like Scott. That sounds like, <laughs> you know. Well, and and sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but the, the companion to that story is my husband is a commercial fisherman. And so he is able to do that from October until, you know, end of March when he the boat is out of the water. And what that then allowed when April, when it shifted to April was um, he continued to carry that ball. Mm -hmm. And we luckily have um, our family close by. So he just asked his dad. And so here's this opportunity for his dad, you know, loves the kids, loves this opportunity, da da da. So it also, when you um, put yourself first, there are all of these other unintended and lovely consequences that happen. And so in that story, my father-in-law shares that load and he has a great relationship with my kids as a result of that. I love that. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So, I mean, when you think about all that you've done and you think about the work that you're doing, how important it is, I'd love to know is there something that's been the most rewarding in your career so far? <laughs> well, yes. And the one that is absolutely top of mind these days is uh, when I worked at Women's Network, when I worked at the feminist organization here on PEI, uh, we lost our access, our local access to abortion here in the 80s when mm. the Catholic uh, hospital and the and the Protestant hospital merged to form the major hospital that we have. And at that point, the Catholic doctors said, we will not merge if abortions are performed. And so that was one of the deals that got made when that hospital was built. So I grew up in a pro-choice household and um, as part of our Christmas cards, we would write letters on behalf of the Canadian Abortion Rights League um, and mail those out. So it was a fight 35 year fight for local to repatriate local access to abortion and in the early 2010s uh this was something that we just always did it was the work that we did off the side of our dad was a pain in the butt at, at women's network but we always did it and at the same time we would get a call several times a year from the morgan toller clinic either in halifax before it closed or the one in Fredericton, and they would say, we have a woman who needs a drive. We have a woman who um, needs to come here, but she doesn't have the money. And we would engage what I always called our underground feminist army. And we would find the, 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 the women who, they were more than willing to do the drive. We had the women who would, you know, we would, we would pay for it. All the while, we were still working toward this um, repatriation. So in the early 2000s, there was a group of young women who were like, what? We can't get an abortion here if we want one? It's like, no. And so there was a huge, probably four year fight where they, they were really the driving force to light the fire under this fight again. And in 2015, we, it, it, it took um, a threat of a constitutional challenge. There was so much work that happened. And that truly is one of the most proud things that I have. It, it makes me teary to think about it. Oh, it makes me teary. Are you saying it? Yeah. yeah. 
And that's like, that's what I'm thinking about these days is that, you know, these women in the US, like, it's easy to say, you know, this abortion still, like, it doesn't stop abortions, it stops safe abortions, it stops abortions as well. And I, you know, I was thinking about this guy who called our office um, one time, his sister was in an abusive relationship. And there was no way she could leave the island for the time like it it was an 18 hour day there was no conceivable way she could do that and at that point there was no access to plan b and you know those are the stories that break my heart like that woman had another baby in an abusive relationship because we did not have local access and that's what they're facing there yeah well and you know there's been a lot of talk about you know, we're here in Canada, that's happening in the States, you know, why should we be up in arms it, you know, we're safe here in Canada, we're good, everything's great. You're talking about no access to abortion, seven years ago, mm-hmm. on a and, on the island. Yeah. And in 2019, our lo- the interim leader of the Liberal Party went to a pro life rally. And he went mm-hmm. just to listen like that's the slippery slope. So of course yeah. we called yeah. for his resignation and had a rally, <laughs> but that is the level of vigilance we need to have. Cause that yeah. was in 2019 here. We're talking about 2017. We did not have local access. We worked for 35 years to get it. And wow. it is, it is a slippery slope and we are one election away from that path as mass far as I'm chaos. concerned. Yeah. Mass chaos is how I see it. I mean, yeah. we have done, when you look and, you know, we have Women's History Month and International Women's Day, we're always celebrating how much we've moved forward. And it just feels like so much is being done against women to move us backwards. Yeah, I'd actually, you know, I'd love to know, do you have any suggestions for women who do want to be more active, women who do want to go and rally and have their voice heard? Is there any organizations you can suggest that we look into? That is a great question. Um, I I mean, I rage donated to Planned Parenthood last week in the US. And so I think there's some really great um, organizations to support in the US. In Canada, there's the uh, Canadian Abortion Rights Network. Um, and they do a lot of work to just sort of keep this on the forefront. I also think the best thing that we can do is make more money focus on your business like i know that these days it is so hard and it Mm -hmm. is paralyzing it is paralyzing to think our daughters have less rights than we did it is paralyzing to think about all of this and yet we live in a capitalist society and capitalism values money and power and the power comes from the money and the more you know, marginalized women, traditionally underestimated people who are making get over that $100,000 hump. So that is where we can throw our money behind the um, 
the politicians and the groups that are doing this hard work. It also frees us up to do that, right? Like yeah. right now, you know, if you're really struggling to kind of keep your business floating, you might not have the time or the energy to add one more thing to your plate. So if you're in that boat, let other people go and fight that fight. You focus internally on getting over those mindset bumps and humps that you've got as fast as possible so that you can fund the revolution that you want to see. Oh, Janet, thank you. Can I just say thank you? Thank you, thank you, thank you for giving women the permission to say, okay, maybe right now is not not my time to fight. Like we need to be saying no more. And I'm not saying no to not fighting that fight, but just giving them the permission to focus on one thing at a time. Like, thank you. Just the goosebumps to that idea too of making more money. So I love that you circled back to this feminist business strategy, you know, having, I've never actually thought of it that way. A lot of times you think of money as, you know, how will it benefit me? How will I live my life differently for me and my family? But you've just opened up a whole new world of possibility for women making more money and what that could mean for the greater future. It never even dawned on me. And I've been doing this work a really long time. So thank you for opening my eyes. Now I'm getting emotional. Um, This was a fantastic conversation. And I am so excited that we get to share this with our community. Okay. We've talked about a lot. We do need somehow to wrap this up because I feel like we could just. I know, keep going. I know, I want to circle back and talk more about some other stuff too, but we, it's, yeah. Oh gosh. So we'll have to bring you on again, Sarah, for, for, for yeah. point two. I would love that. Yeah. This is super fun. I mean, it's my favorite thing to talk about and, and you are lovely to chat with. So oh, this was, this was eye opening to say yeah. the least. So we are going to. Uh, ask one last question, which is what is next for you? And then we're going to roll into some rapid fire questions, but what is next for you? Where can people find out more and, and, and connect? Do with you? you have another book coming? Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> soon. I want to spend some more time promoting this one. I got kind of um, foiled by Omnicron. So mm-hmm. what's next for me is I want to just continue to share this message of the book. I'm looking at doing some sort of book tour, something in the fall where I'm able to um, share this message. I feel it's really important that women hear this. And I also find it hard to leave PEI in the summer because it's so beautiful here. So planning <laughs> for that totally in the fall. Understandable. <laughs> you do a book tour out there. We'd be happy to yeah. come to PEI. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's really what's next. And then, yes, I do see that there there are more books in me and I'm really excited to explore that, but that's probably a year. I I expect this time next year, I'll be doing a similar process of writing something else. Oh, we can't wait. This, you know, this is so needed right now. And I could see all kinds of she rules, um, (laughs) you know, expansion. So I I'm really excited to watch your growth and Grace and I have been so inspired by all that you're doing. So, all right, Grace, do you want to kick off some rapid fire questions? I am. I'm going to go with a good one. What would be your theme song? (laughs) Well, can I have more than one? (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> so uh, the power song that I listened to, I love John Prine with every fiber of my being. He's a folk, mu uh, folk musician and he actually died of COVID. Before COVID, we went to a music festival that he hosted in the Dominican Republic. And there was a woman there called Ruby Amanfu. And she has this song called, I Feel Fantastic Like Magic. Ooh, so love the title. Feel, yeah, yeah. I feel fantastic, like magic. <laughs> it's so fun. So if I need to pump myself up, I listen to that one. The my other one is um, I am also a Stan Rogers Folk Festival devotee, and I go to this amazing little festival every year for more than twenty years. And uh, Stan Rogers has a song called the Mary Ellen Carter, and it's about a boat, um, like a commercial fishing boat that the the commercial boat owners, it sank and they're like, it's not worth it to raise this boat. But these fishermen were like, it is a fantastic boat and it needs more like it has more life in it. And so the chorus of that is rise again, like the Mary Ellen Carter will rise again. And so that one speaks to my deep fishing roots and that eternal optimism we just need to have that it does not matter what gets thrown at us we will just continue to rise again yeah oh man okay i've, I've written them both down i'm gonna i know to i have to <laughs> <laughs> i gotta go find them after <laughs> all right i get the next question oh what were your favorite subjects in school when you were little sarah Oh, I had this social studies teacher in grade seven and eight. And when we started grade seven, he said, uh, my school went one to eight. Okay. No girl has ever won the social studies award in grade eight. Hmm. And I was like, well, <laughs> that is going to change. Challenge accepted. <laughs> uh -huh. So he was like such an ass. Like the consummate 1985 male chauvinist pig. Oh, and wow. I learned so much in that class about how to formulate an argument, how to be critical in your thinking, formulate an argument and stick to your guns. So, you know, I, I don't know if that was his intention, but I did win the social studies award. <laughs> Yay. I'd be very disappointed if you didn't. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. Isn't it those challenges that turn you, you know, turn you towards this version of yourself that you didn't even know was there? I love it. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Social studies. All right, Grace, you got the next one. Okay. Um, what's the guilty pleasure that you have? Oh, <laughs> there's, there's, you can say more than one. <laughs> there's this YouTuber called Hope Scope, and she, she reviews leggings, like athleisure. I don't even, I have like four pairs of leggings. Oh my gosh. Hope Scope. But she does these like, she finds lost luggage and like she like or amazon returns it's on youtube i love it oh my gosh that's so funny you know, we, like, sorry. oh yeah. god go on well it's just total check your brain at the door and i think yeah. that's the thing is like i like my entertainment to be entertaining i'm not interested in any show that involves like violence against women that is not fun yeah. and 
enjoyable. I don't like guns, but I have found like Hopescope and <laughs> YouTube lagging reviews. It's very soothing. Oh my gosh. I say, just you saying that just makes me laugh because we on um, on YouTube have started watching mudlarking, which is this bizarre process of um, people scouring the banks of the River Thames in London for lost things that are stuck in the mud and they'll find things from the 1600s 1700s in the mud like it's it's just these concepts I am so all over that I'm (laughs) I'm googling that as soon as we're done (laughs) isn't this it now though like we're all just looking for things to kind of distract us from the fact that there's fire around us on every corner of the planet And that's what you need. I love that. So Hope Scope, Mudlarking. I'm going to check out Hope Scope for, for sure. That just, I love it. I love it. I'm on my fifth watch of Schitt's Creek. Like that's where I'm um, at. I just keep it on the loop now because it's just therapeutic it's at this point. It's such a good one. Yeah, it's <laughs> such a good one. All right. Um, my next question for you. In the quiet moments, we're going to get a bit serious. In the quiet moments, where does your mind wander to? Um, well, I think I'm generally optimistic. So in the quiet moments, and I like a a nice, long, quiet morning, I do think a lot about my business and how can I continue to grow and share these messages. I think a lot about my friends and my colleagues, my clients' businesses. Uh, this is my hobby um, mm-hmm. in many ways. I think that's in, in, in the quiet moments. Um, I've had a lot of loss in my life in this last year. I, a dear, dear cousin of mine that our lives were so deeply intertwined, including kids the same age, um, she passed away in September. And so in my quiet moments, I think a lot about Ellen. She was such an amazing human. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I think Grace has one last question for you. Yeah, I do. I haven't been to PEI. Um, it's on my list, so I would love to go. What's one of the fa- your favorite things to do locally? Well, m- our version of mudlarking. So... <laughs> I am uh, sea glassing. So um, there's all kinds of I uh, my husband um, continues to say that it's possible the house will collapse under the weight of the glass. Oh, so, no. <laughs> um, sea glass is and it really just is that it's glass that um, what we have a ton of shipwrecks around PEI there's like old dumps that were close to the water and they would fall over and so you find all of this beautiful weathered and worn sea glass that is one of my favorite things Um, I love to forage so whether I'm looking for sea glass chanterelle mushrooms blueberries, bottles in the woods. I'm all about like the, our version of mudlarking. I love it. Oh my gosh. I think we have a connection, Sarah. Like there's, there's, oh. Okay. Both of you, you just come to PEI. I'll take you all my favorite beaches. We will solve almost all of the world's problems (laughs) and a bonfire. Yeah. Okay, good. We'll have to invite our friend Amber Mack. We'll have a whole, we'll have a whole jamboree out there. She's here right now, actually. (laughs) I love it. Oh, Sarah, this was such a fantastic 
time you've just lifted my spirits. I can't speak, uh, yeah. but this was so fun and informative and empowering. You know, when we speak to women like you, it just feels like, you know, the things we try to do every day to lift women up and help us all move forward. You are doing the work to help us get there. And I'm just so thankful that you were able to share that with us. Yeah. It's a big honor to have you here today. So thank you very, very much. Yeah. Well, thank you. And it was an honor to be here and an honor to be part of your community. I love what you're doing. I love getting the emails and seeing what's happening and, and how you're building that. So it was a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Sarah. For all of you listening, you know, if today inspired you, if Sarah's teachings inspired you, please go and share or review this episode. We would love for you to go and tell other women to tune in. Um, We really are all about community. So the more women we can uplift and inspire, the stronger we are together. Until we hear from our next guest on an upcoming podcast, we thank you for listening and we can't wait to connect with you again. Bye, everyone. Bye.